Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keene, will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keene. We're back. We are live. Fighting is live. It's all back. It's all back to normal, Billy. Hopefully we have, what, three more days? Please, MMA gods and all the other gods, give me fighting on Saturday. I need this. Well, I need this. I mean, it looks like the Keen family barber is back too, huh? You guys Look got at that it haircut. All. I'm looking good, huh? Looking good, oh feeling good. Got my Cowboy Cerrone shirt on. We're ready to rip it, Billy. This has been a long-awaited weekend for me. I'm ready to go. So let's get right into it. This is episode... 35 billy we are rocking and rolling 35 episodes in the books um this week we're going to do a deep dive into ufc 249 um we're going to go over the main card in depth we're going to kind of do breakdowns of each fighters the matchups the strengths give our predictions let you know what's next for the fighters what the significance of the fight is we're really going to get balls deep into ufc 249 because we have not had fights so before we get started, everyone, as always, like, share, subscribe, all the fun things. Help us out. Keep this thing rolling, and we'll keep bringing the, bringing the action, Billy, every week. So let's get right into it. UFC 249 going down in Jacksonville, Florida this weekend. Billy, how you feeling? I feel great, man. I'm pumped. I, and I think people are are getting pumped in general, like not just MMA fans, I know, but like sports fans have been texting me kind of off the wall like hey what's the deal with this ufc card is this worth my time you know should i buy the pay-per-view like i think people are genuinely getting excited which i think is probably a little bit different than the april 18th card where it was so controversial it felt that um it was hard for people to get excited i think people are are really in on this so i'm getting excited i'm gonna let myself get excited for this one Absolutely. Let's do it. So, all right, let's talk about that. So how important is this card in general for the sports world as a whole and combat sports in general? I think for combat sports, it's, it's something that is pretty important. Honestly, I think for like team sports, for your NBAs and your NFLs and baseball and all that, like, I don't think they're going to be looking to this for guidance because it's so wildly different, right? It's so, you know, like if you think about an NFL sideline where you got 60, 70 guys minimum on that sideline just to have a game, very different than having two fighters in the cage. So I think it's, it's more about combat sports, but I think the UFC can really lead the way, at least for MMA promotions of how to do this safely, how to, how to show Bellator and, um, you know, PFL and some other organizations around the globe, maybe some of the increased protocols, some how they've worked with the athletic commission in Florida, um, changes to fight week, things like that, that can really help them out. I think boxing is probably a little bit different because boxing is so dependent on the fighters, right? The fighters have a lot more power in boxing. It's a lot easier for them to determine their own matchups. So I think there will be less pressure from promoters to compete, but, uh, and obviously like governing bodies like the WBC, WBO, WBA, they're not going to be pushing boxers to compete 
during the pandemic, like we've seen the UFC do. But um, I definitely think like for, you know, Bellator and PFL, these MMA promotions based in the States, like they're going to have a close eye on, on this and see how this goes to see when, when they can open up and how they're going to do it once that, once they decide to do so. Well, yeah, I think the UFC is kind of laying the blueprint for MMA. You know, they'll see how everything goes this week, Wednesday and next Saturday and kind of take all the best of those. And I would expect your big promotions, your Bellator, your Ryzen's, you know, to probably get back to action fairly soon and, you know, kind of follow the model that the UFC puts in place. So, um, yeah, no, I agree. I think this is huge. Um, Let's talk about the card in general. Obviously, absolutely stacked card. Like we anticipated, you know, the last couple of episodes we've talked about. But in your opinion, is this the best card of 2020 thus far? Yeah, I was looking at it. Um, it's it's very clearly the best pay-per-view, right? Because I think maybe we forget in our lack of fighting, but 246 and 247 were exceptionally weak pay-per-views. Um, and then 248, I think it's probably more um, competitive with this in terms of quality of card than we realize, but I definitely give it to 249. And I think the strength of this is really comes down to the prelims. Like I think if you made this prelim card, a fight night main card, it would be the best fight night main card of 2020 as well. So I just think the depth of this card, the number of intriguing fights, I mean, they're legitimately, I'm interested in every single fight on this card. And I never, ever say that. There's yeah, there's big names from start to finish. I I think I heard it was kind of a fun fact, but uh, I think I heard one of the guys on the Heavy Hands podcast said there's one fighter on this card that doesn't have a Wikipedia, which is very strange. That's a weird metric to look at. But, you know, if you go to a typical UFC or Bellator card, you look towards the bottom of the prelims. There's a lot of guys that have, you know, four, five, six fights. Um, So, yeah, a lot of big names. I mean, I'm I'm going to be tuned in from start to finish. hundred percent. Um, okay. My next question for you. So I've, I see this both ways, but I want to see what your stance is on this. What, what do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has done for the fighters training just in general? You know, obviously a lot of things are going to have to change. The number of people they're going to be able to train with all the gyms across the country are closed. Um, so how do you think if at all this plays into the, you know, the, the type of fights we get, the quality of fights we get. Yeah, I think in general, it's going to be worse for fighters training, right? Like it, it just kind of across the board on average, you know, I, I don't like, it's hard to make sweeping generalizations in this sport, honestly, because every fighter is so different, but in general, you have to imagine it's probably harder to get to the gym, probably harder to get your regular food and, uh, workout routine and, you know, get into the, the specialists or doctors or whoever else you would normally see. You got to think that's a little bit tougher. But then there's going to be guys anecdotally who have an easier time with this because they're more focused. Their coaches are probably only focused on them because they're not running a business or running you know, their normal camps or normal amount of fighters. It's you don't have, t- you about- don't have 10, 10 fighters. You have to prepare for fights all over the world. You know, you're, you're focusing on one, maybe two guys. You know, I think, um, Dominic Cruz's coach has obviously got Jeremy Stevens and Dominic, Dominic Cruz. So that's two fighters opposed to, you know, he may have 
six, seven different fighters fighting in Bellator, Ryzen, UFC all in one weekend. So that was that was the point that I th- I think Showtime Pettis actually said. He said that was the first camp that he's basically had Duke Rufus to himself instead of having to share him with, you know, his brother or Woodley or Ben Askren or, what you know, whatever. Um, so that was kind of an interesting way. To, I had never thought of it like that before. There's obviously guys that own their own gyms, you know, like, you know, Cowboy's got his own setup at his house where he brings in training partners. Um, you know, other guys own their own gyms and it's, you know, they obviously had access to those gyms. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be something to look at, especially for some of these younger guys that are used to, you know, training in big camps that are coming up, like the, uh, you know, Greg Hardy's of the world that train at ATT, and they're used to having, you know, a big cast of people around him. I wonder if that affects him positively to have all those coaches just focused on him. And and what you're really talking about here, Parker, is something I've been focused on um, as a trend in MMA in general, I mean, well before the pandemic started, but it's the idea of these kind of boxing-style training camps where it's really focused around one fighter. It's not about a team. There's not like events every week. There's not multiple guys from a given gym fighting every week. It's all about this one guy fighting this specialized opponent. And all of our coaches, all of our focus, all of our gym time is focused around that. I mean, I think that's really going to benefit some guys. Like, you know, I look at guys like, like you said, Pettis, Cowboy, um, Tony Ferguson, um, these guys who own their own gym, who are getting the focus. I mean, even like a Uriah Hall, where, you know, there's a couple Fortis guys on this uh, card, but he's been living in the gym. I can't imagine, like, he's getting less focused or less training because of this. So um, I, I think it cuts both ways. And, and I ultimately, I don't know that we're going to be able to notice a significant difference on fight night. I don't know that we're going to be able to look at it and be like, hey, you know, this fight looks very different because this guy didn't get to train like he likes to, or this guy looks way better than he should because he's getting that individualized focus. I actually think it's going to look shockingly like a normal UFC card uh, to the outside viewer. Yeah, I also think about it like, you know, these guys, this is all fighting is their job. So normally they have distractions in their life. You know, they have other obligations, media, sponsorship stuff. They haven't been able to do anything. So people that do have the means to have their own gym, um, you know, individual coaches, like Henry Cejudo's one that that captain, whatever his name is, with the white, funky guy with the white glasses. Eric Albarazine. Uh, you know, he pretty much only works with Henry Cejudo and the Pitbull brothers and a small group of fighters. So, you know, getting that direct attention, I, I think, could, you know, impact you big time. I mean, especially some of these younger guys, seeing how fast they grow. And if they've got three, four coaches focusing solely on them, you know, and then they have zero distractions in their life besides fighting. They've got one thing to focus on, and that's this weekend. It'll be interesting to see. That, that's just something to look at this weekend. But, um, all right, this card in general is stacked. We're going to run, run through the entire thing in this episode. But um, for all the casual fans out there, give them your thoughts on the card. This is this is one where if you're if you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you're either one of Parker and I's close friends or a hardcore MMA fan. Um, maybe both. But if you're a hardcore MMA fan and you have a lot of sports fan friends who are kind of clamoring for something live to watch, like I would really push this card because 
there's not a ton of names. There's probably not going to be very many people that uh, casual fans will recognize, but your your potential for violent, exciting, you know, fights with different styles, uh, high action, high finish potential. I mean, it's top to bottom. You know, it's not like well-known names who have the potential to put on a boring fight. It's like this card is loaded with just action fighters. And so I think that I think if you're a hardcore fan, I would make a big push for your casual fan friends to flip on ESPN this Saturday because they're they're going to see something exciting on there. Yeah. Sean Shelby, Mick Maynard, you absolutely crushed it. I mean, it's a perfect style to get. I, I pray that they get just a ton of eyes on this because from start to finish, these are fun fights for anyone. I don't care what level of MMA you watch or take in. This is the card to watch. So I've been pushing it on everyone, anyone that'll listen. Um, but I'm super excited for this. So, all right, Billy, um, run over kind of the current state of where we're at with the UFC and kind of their plan protocols to approach this weekend with all the you know pandemic going on. What are they doing to get ahead of the curve and make sure you know nothing catastrophic happens? Yeah. So um, the UFC and the Florida uh, Boxing Commission kind of released some details on Tuesday. Obviously, we're not privy to everything, but um, there is definitely some stuff that they're doing. And I, I read over it, and I, and I was actually pretty impressed. So. The fighters are going to get tested for uh, coronavirus and coronavirus antibodies. Uh, most fighters got in on Monday and got immediately tested. And then they'll get tested, I believe, either today or tomorrow um, because the test takes 24 hours to come back. Um, they'll be tested twice fight week. They'll be tested for antibodies to see if they already had coronavirus. So you have two types of tests there. Um, they're going to have roughly 150 people in the arena on fight night running everything. But obviously, it's a 20,000-seat arena. So with 150, you could pretty easily social distance. I think the commentary teams will each have their own side of the octagon. So like, you'll have Cormier on one side. You'll have Anik on one side. Um, so you're able to do some distancing from, from the judges. That um, might even be cool just for the different angles. You know, when they're commentating the fight just having different point of views on, you know, what the hell's going on in the fight. So that, that'll be pretty interesting. I, I have another question for you. Where, um, where are they, all the fighters staying? Are they all staying at a centralized location or have they released that? Yeah, they're at a hotel in Jacksonville. And I actually think it's, it's basically only UFC fighters, staff okay. and coaches. Okay. Um, and then they're going to have like, Increased sanitization practices, you know, cleaning the octagon between fights, cleaning the octagon it. beforehand. Um, <laughs> it's gonna be a bloodbath. And bath. then they're gonna do daily daily fever checks with the fighters in their right. teams. Um, the thing that we're probably gonna notice the most is there's gonna be no post fight octagon interviews. Yeah, so that's strange. None of that. Um, because obviously you would have to get close. So, you know, Daniel Cormier would have to put his arm around guys to, to let that happen. And then most of the staff will be in gloves and a mask. So I, I think one of my favorite prop bets I saw online today is, will Bruce Buffer wear a mask for this event? <laughs> like, is he going to oh, through a mask? That'd be um, wild. 
If so, wild, I'm, get, but I'm, I'm getting Ross Bain to paint that for my uh, podcast room. Bruce Buffer <laughs> in a Corona mask. Um, what? Okay, so Rogan is going to be here. I saw something today about they were going to do post-fight interviews, but it's going to be at some sort of booth or backstage or something like that. Have you seen anything like that? I mean, you could ostensibly do, I don't know if you remember the, uh, the first Jones Cormier buildup where they had them in two separate rooms and they basically did a Skype interview. Um, I think you could very easily set that up where you have basically Rogan in one room and you have, uh, the fighter in the other room and kind of make it happen. Um, so I'm, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see. Yeah, they, they put it together. I, I am really impressed, too. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, that original April 18th card would have been rushed. Now they've had the time to go through and put some thought to this and make sure they're taking every single measure to make sure this is as safe as possible. So, yeah, I, I think the timing is right. I think we're ready to go and they're going to do everything in their power to make sure this goes off without a hitch. and. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, all right. What other, do I have any other questions about that? Um, oh, the corners. Will the corners be the same? Will they still be allowed the same amount of cornermen? I believe they're going to be allowed the same amount of cornermen, but I actually think the cornermen could be wearing gloves and a mask uh, as well. So that'll be kind of interesting to see. Hmm. Um, but I, I, in general, I think, I think we know at this point who the vulnerable populations are for this virus. I'm not saying it can't happen to anyone because it can, but statistically speaking, these young in shape fighters without underlying conditions are largely not at risk for severe cases of coronavirus. Um, a lot of the cornermen, I, I would hope that if they were at risk or a physician or a judge or whoever it might be, if you're older, if you have underlying conditions, I, I would hope that they would kind of recuse themselves from participating in something like this, at least at this point. Um, so I'm hopeful that it's going to be people who are really, really low risk in the arena on mm-hmm. fight night. And this can go off without a hitch because are, are the judges the ringside day, or are they remote? The judges, I believe, I believe they'll be cage side, but okay. I know there's a lot of discussion about how to do remote judging. Yeah. And I would actually like to see that be a byproduct of this. Oh, I would absolutely. like to see judging go remote. No, we've talked about that multiple times. I, you know, I think you could have 10 to 15 judges watching a fight remote and get a more balanced score. Um, so yeah, we've covered that. We've obviously beat that horse to death, but um Okay, um, something else I'm going to be looking forward to as kind of a hardcore fan. I hope they do something cool with the corners. We've got, you know, Eric Delfieri, uh, Trevor Whitman, you know, a couple of the best coaches in the game, Duke Rufus. It would be very interesting to see kind of a, you know, first-person corner cam or something different. They've Dewey got to, Cooper. Yeah, they've got to come up with something different. Dewey Cooper looks like the Predator. He's a very, very scary man. Great. I mean, like amazing corner advice too. Yeah. like l- literally like we'll tell his fighters to go out and like kill that guy like <laughs> go just kill him. him that's awesome all right so let's jump into it we've covered all the uh ins and outs you know the basics of the card let's get down to the the main stuff main event 
Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. Someone is going to fucking bleed, Billy. We're going to have a new bobblehead after this fight. This shit is going to get crazy. Um, th- this became the fight that I'm looking forward to most this year. I don't, you can give me any other fight. Give me Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Khabib Connor, Khabib Tony. This is a fight. This is it. This is, this is going to be fucking chaos. Chaos from start to finish. I don't. I would pay a thousand dollars to watch this fight <laughs> over and over again for the next forty-eight hours. This is a. This is going to be a great fight. So let's dive into it. Um, obviously, ever we kind of covered the background of how we got to this. What are your initial thoughts on this fight? So you know, I'm like Mister. We need to protect Tony versus Khabib at all costs, and like I'm, I am like. It it feels sacrilegious for me to enjoy anything other than that uh, with, you know, Tony, Tony fighting this weekend. But I had a friend text me last night and was like, hey, is this UFC card worth my money? And when I thought about the potential of what the Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson fight could look like, I had to say yes. And that's kind of the light switch for me that got me like super excited about this fight because stylistically, I don't know that there's a better fight in the UFC from a, from a fan perspective in terms of what's going to be fun to watch. I don't know that there's a better stylistic matchup in the entire company. These guys are so similar. I think in the, the biggest thing is just their mindset. I, I heard, I think Kenny Florian said this today, but he's like, you know, a lot of guys go into that octagon saying, yes, I, I will go in there. I will die. I will do everything I have to do to get the win. But he said, a lot of that's bullshit. A lot of those guys don't mean it. These two guys mean it. These two guys will go in there and lay it all on the line, and they'll die in there if they have to. These two are fucking savages of the highest order in this organization. And this is... You can't miss on this. I was wrong about Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou. This is not going to be that. There is going to be chaos. I don't care if it lasts two minutes. 25 minutes, anywhere in between, it's going to be chaos. So, um, all right, let's, let's dive into it. Um, Tony, obviously on a 12-fight win streak in the deepest division in MMA, the lightweight division, 155. I think he hasn't lost in, what, almost a decade, like eight or nine years, something crazy like that. Um, Justin Gaethje came into the UFC highly, highly sought after, a, you know, big pr- – he was a champion at the World Series of Fighting. Um, he had a crazy first fight with Michael Johnson. And then he lost two very, very close fights to Eddie Alvarez, who's a former champion, Dustin Poirier, who I think is you know one of the best fighters in the world. Um, and I and went back and... Interim, former interim champion. Yeah, yeah, and I went back and watched those fights. And honestly, Justin was winning both of those fights. Both of those fights he was winning. And he just... His, I think he was winning the Eddie fight. I do not think he was winning the Poirier fight. I think he was on the verge of breaking both of those guys. And if he had a little bit more strategy, if he fought a little more like he does now, I think he would have got the win on both of those. I, I went back and watched those and I'm just like screaming at the TV. I'm like, come on, <laughs> just change your tactic just a little bit. He, and, but that's, that's why we love him. I think he headlined his first pretty much every He's headlined every UFC fight he's fought in, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. other than the Alvarez one, because it was on a pay-per-view. But Okay. 
Yeah, but I mean, Justin Gaethje, when he came to the UFC, just had this smash, just savage mindset that he was going to just basically break everyone that he fought. And it worked all the way up into those two fights. And then when it didn't, he took some time and he changed his style. And ever since then, he's been on, he's got three fights in a row with first round knockouts. Uh, James Vick, Edson Barbosa. Who's the other one? Who are we missing? James, a cowboy. Oh, cowboy. Poor cowboy. Cowboy's at the end of all this. <laughs> um, but yeah, ever since then, he's looked like a different fighter. He's looked a little more reserved and he's just been smashing people. So. The matchup, honestly, in in my mind, I think for these guys, I think they honestly both match up better against Khabib than they do against themselves. I think it's almost like carbon copy fighters fighting each other, and it's going to be, man, I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a very slim margin that separates these guys, but let's dive right into it. So that's kind of the background of them. Um, I'm going to ask you some kind of preliminary questions about this fight. And then we're going to go into the strengths and the weaknesses of each fighter. And then we're going to give a pr prediction. We're going to do that for the whole main card. So, um, all right, we talked about this last week. I think Tony Ferguson decided to carry on and cut weight for the April 18th card. The biggest Tony Ferguson move ever. Do you think in any way that this is going to affect his performance? Cause Tony's not a small guy. It's not a super easy weight cut. Thoughts on that? In a word, no, I do not. <laughs> Absolutely not. All right. Um, will the extra time? Dumb, dumb question. Move on. <laughs> okay. No comment. Full of Marshawn Lynch. Um, all right. Who does the extra time of not fighting on April 18th help more in the long run, Justin or Tony? I think Justin, because I, I... – for me, I don't think Tony Ferguson – I think Tony Ferguson goes in to fight his fight every single time. I don't think Tony Ferguson's game plan changes all that significantly based on the opponent. Um, and I think he's, like, in ridiculous shape. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think he's ever out of shape. I think Justin's success as a fighter is so based on his conditioning and his ability to – take shots to move forward to kind of like hold his balance, hold his, you know, hold his ground and keep walking forward. That's so conditioning based. So I think a short notice fight, that's why Justin under normal circumstances never takes short notice fights. He needs to make sure that he's peaking athletically in that octagon. So I think it's really, really important actually that he got some extra time to condition his body. Do you know how many times Justin Gaethje's been past the third round? How one time, times? one time in his entire career, back in the World Series of Fighting. Uh, the dude he he doesn't plan wait, to go wait, wait. He didn't past go, four. He didn't go to the fourth with uh, Poirier. I could have sworn. No, I think he, he finished him at the end of the the very very end of the third. I think. No, sorry. That was the only fourth round was Poirier. That's the only fourth round he went to is Poirier. So, I mean, that nice guy, try, Parker. well, it's fun stat. I mean, the bottom line is expect pace, expect action from or Dustin Gaethje straight out of the gates. All right. Um, let me see. That leads me into my next question. To me, this is the most important factor of this fight. 
can Justin keep Tony's pace for five rounds? Because Tony, similar to like Nate Diaz, that dude never slows down. He's coming at you from the beginning until the fight's over, and he's never slowing down. So do you think Justin can maintain that pace for five rounds at the pace that him and Tony Ferguson are going to fight? So the first time I ever watched Tony Ferguson and thought about him as like a legitimate title contender was against uh, Rafael Dos Anjos in what, 2016? So four years ago. Um, And what was amazing about that is like when they got in the fourth and fifth round, the fight's in Mexico City. It's at altitude. Dos Anjos is like you can see where his his abdomen is going in and out and like he's clearly breathing really hard. Tony does not even look like he's breaking a sweat. Like Tony's output and his cardio is some of the most absurd, ridiculous athletic thing that nobody notices that I've ever seen. And Justin on the flip side like I watched a Michael Johnson fight last night, Justin Gaethje. He's gassed out in the second round. But I mean, he's also changed his fighting Eddie. style. He's completely changed his fighting sure. style. The last three fights. But I agree. And that, you know, the, the Justin Gaethje that fought Michael Johnson, I would be very, very worried for him fighting Tony Ferguson. But like he gassed out against uh, Johnson. He gassed out against Eddie. Like, He's gassed out against uh, Poirier. Like, and then everything else has been a quick finish. Like, first round. I just think, I, I just think that uh, Tony's cardio, like, is ridiculous. And even if just, even guys with good cardio gas out against Tony. So I, I don't see it. I don't see Justin, like, dragging Tony into the deep water and tiring him out. I kind of see it the other way around. Okay, um, we'll dive touch more on that when we go through their strengths and weaknesses. But um, all right, if Justin goes in there and starches Tony in the first round, will this be the saddest end to one of the best runs we've ever seen in modern UFC history? I guess I don't. I don't necessarily see it that way. Even though, like, I want the Habib Tony fight to happen more than anything. Um, I just don't think Tony has this like mystique about him the same way that other guys have. Like when I think of like a devastating end, like Anderson Silva against Chris Weidman, like that's devastating. Like even like Mighty Mouse against Cejudo, I thought was pretty devastating where it's like, that's how Mighty Mouse's UFC career ends. Like he's going to have this lops, like split decision loss to a guy who, has basically no interest in reviving flyweight like that that sucks like fedor losing sucks uh frankie edgar beating bj penn that was like an end to a really like people were talking about bj penn as pound for pound the best ever um i i just don't see this tony and maybe it's because he never like won the real title but like i just don't see it that way i don't see it as having the same level of gravity he does kind of have that air about him, though. He, there's something about Tony where it's not nearly the the level of Fedor, you know, making his walk out or John Jones or something like that. But there's something about Tony where he's just like, who's? It's similar to what how I feel about George Masvidal right now. It's like, who's gonna beat that guy, and how are you gonna do it? 
Because he's, unless you switch the lights off on him, that dude's coming after you for five rounds and he's going to hurt you. He's going to cut you. You're going to bleed. It's going to be nasty. I mean, he's just ruthless. So I, I don't I don't know. I, I love Tony Ferguson. He's a freak show. Um, all right. I do too. But... What? I, I kind of, I thought about this a lot the last week or so. Um, obviously, we everyone knows Justin's on a three fight win streak, you know. But how how do you see that level of competition? How does that level of competition, those three guys, James Vick, Edson Barbosa, who's out of the UFC, James Vick moved up to welterweight, and Cowboys towards the end of the career, his career. How do you see those performances against that caliber of fighter? You know, and kind of where do you think Justin stacks up right now? Because we've seen him against the elite guys, Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, and he came up short. But we haven't seen him against that that caliber of fighter since he's had kind of this rebirth and change of styles. Yeah, so is it Barbosa going to 145? I think he's still with the UFC. I think he asked for his release. No, I think he got released. I thought he was moving down and then got, yeah, then he got released. I thought, I'll look it up. Um, While you look that up, I'll talk about, uh, you know, the, the cowboy performances, but I hate to say this because I love Cowboy, but like the more and more I look at Cowboy's performances, like he just kind of seems like getting towards done to me. Like there's a lot of tread on the tires and Justin to me kind of solidified himself as like definitively in that top five range, even if he's not a title challenger, right? Because James Vick, Cowboy and Edson Barbosa all like top 10 to 15 fighters at lightweight for me and all have pretty good resumes up against their contemporaries. And Justin Gaethje destroyed them. He blew through like, Yeah. You have to think like that guy is in the top five, but then like you said, when he went up against guys who, uh, you know, were title legitimate title challengers or former title holders, you know, he kind of he he was clearly like close, but not not there, right? Um, and so I I just think he's kind of like solidified his place, like in that like four to five range where, you know, he's not a he's not a title challenger, but he is one of the best five fighters in the division in the world. Well, and I think he realized that, and maybe that's the reason he, you know, him and Trevor Whitman came up with this new fighting style. You know, I, I think that. The old Justin Gaethje, that took him as high as he was going to go, and he realized he needs to change some things if he's going to get to that next level and ultimately become a champion. So um, that's why I'm very interested in this in this fight, because you haven't seen the new Justin Gaethje go up against an elite fighter, and Tony Ferguson is surely that. Um, I'm also interested to see if he sticks to that style. If If Tony makes him get into a war, does he stick to that style, or does he go back to the old Justin Gaethje and blow his energy in the first two or three rounds, and then Tony just pick him apart in four and five. So that's something I'll be looking at. I mean, seriously. So um, and look, Lord knows T- Tony Ferguson's not in there to play patty cake with you. He's no, not going to point kill fight you. you. He wants to kill he's not going to run. Yeah, he wants to kill you. So yeah. like, I think the potential for for Justin to get dragged into a brawl is is actually pretty high. Yeah. Um. All right. So both these guys last fought Cowboy Cerrone. Any 
anything you can pull from that. Obviously, there were two different fights. Um, Justin goes in there and starches him in the first round. Um, and then I rewatched Cowboy versus Tony two nights ago. And I, I honestly, I thought Cowboy won round one. And then he kind of slows down and Tony starts getting in his rhythm and kind of picked him apart in round two. Round three, he comes out, blows his nose, his eye explodes. So any anything you can pull from the last fight with Cowboy? See, like, I, I think the Cowboy fight, like, to me, that first round, Tony was just being nice, to be honest. Like, I really felt that way watching that. I was like, I felt like Tony could land any anytime he wanted to. I think Justin obviously did land. Um, and I, 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 it's hard for me to take something away from that because I, I am struggling with the fact that I kind of think Cowboy is getting towards the end of the career here. And it's, it's hard for me to evaluate performances against Cowboy where you come out and knock him out just because it's been, it's been ugly the past three fights for, for Donald Cerrone, quite frankly. Three fights, in and, a, three fights in a row he's lost. Um, and lost badly. Like yeah. not, not like lost a split decision. So... I don't know. I, it's hard. It's it's hard for me because I think both of these guys are pretty close to their prime, um, and and Cowboy is is well past it at, at the very least. All right, absolutely. So um, let's dive into the strengths and any weaknesses we see with these guys, and then we'll both make a prediction. So for Tony, for me, um, his biggest strength is he can take the fight anywhere. He doesn't care where the fight goes, standing, clinch, on the ground, top, bottom, whatever. Tony's comfortable everywhere. He can finish you from everywhere. He can hurt you from anywhere. Um, I went back and I watched, fuck, maybe 10 Tony Ferguson fights this week. Um, that, that was my biggest takeaway. That dude, he'll go anywhere. He can hurt you from anywhere. Um, second, his elbows and his teeps. He throws teeps at... Anything. He'll hit you in the mouth with them. He'll hit you in the body with them. He'll hit you in the knee with them. It's kind of what he uses to set his distance and kind of keep these guys off of you. So he'll hit you with the teep and then he'll stick you with the left. He's great at, and I, I went back and watched Dominic Cruz fights. He's really good at this too. He'll hit you with a teep or a low kick and then he'll hit you with the other hand. Um, so that's, that's a big, big thing for Tony. Um, obviously, we talked about it, the cardio. Cardio. I don't think anyone's got better cardio. Maybe, maybe a prime Cain Velasquez at heavyweight, Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, maybe, but Tony Ferguson, all, all team, all cardio UFC. So that's huge. Um, super durable and super hard to finish. I mean, a lot of guys hurt Tony, which is one of the weaknesses I'm going to dive into. He, he does get hit. He does get hit. You've seen him dropped in several fights. Um, Lando Venata, um, Showtime Pettis dropped him, but he finds very, very strange ways to recover, buy time, escape, and then he's coming right back after you. So he's got a zombie quality about him that I, I don't know. Until someone puts switches the lights out on Tony Ferguson, I just don't see him losing because he's going to come after you for 25 minutes. He's going to punish you and really, really make it 25 minutes of hell. So those are my biggest strengths. Um, do you see any weaknesses? Uh, for for weaknesses, right? Like, I, I think 
Tony's really hittable. He gets hit every fight. He gets hurt in a lot of his fights. Um, and he's 36. Like, the guy's taken a fair amount of damages. He's not winning dominant fights. He's not, like, getting these quick finishes. Like, even in his quick fight, like, I would describe, like, the Anthony Pettis fight, right, as, like, a relatively quick Tony Ferguson fight. And, like, that was a back-and-forth fight. Like, Tony took damage. He gets dropped. He gets hit. Like, that's what I see as his major weakness. Um, but it's also kind of his strength in a way because that's Tony's biggest strength is his unpredictability. There was a great article on The Athletic this week about uh, they interviewed a bunch of Tony's former opponents and had, and had them kind of assess I like, saw what the, makes Tony Ferguson so all good. Their, all their quotes, yeah. It had like Eve Edwards, Lando Venata, Kevin Lee. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting. Um, and and everybody talks about like you don't know what's coming with Tony. Like he does not follow a book. He does not follow like you know your typical martial arts techniques. He's like Don. And the Cruz, other thing is, is right? Like, you can't. Who, who do you bring in to emulate Tony Ferguson in a training camp? Well, and the other thing is, is like who has as complete a grappling game as Tony Ferguson does? Yeah. I mean, there's so few people in the UFC who have Division One wrestling and then a black belt, like, protege status under Eddie Bravo as well. Like, Tony can defend takedowns. He can hit takedowns. He can roll you through. He can play guard. He can play top game. I mean, he's, like, as complete a ground game as you've ever seen, and he's got the most vicious elbows in the division. I just think, like, he's got such a dangerous game that it almost overrides the fact that like his striking defense is not great. I'll say this. I think outside of John Jones, I think Tony Ferguson is the most complete best fighter in the UFC period. He's, he can do it all. The guy can do it all. And you know, I think he's the full package. So, all right, let's dive into Justin. Um, you lead us off with your strengths with, with Justin and then I'll pick up some weaknesses. I don't start conversations with about Justin Gaethje without talking about his leg kicks. It is the most it is the most impressive leg kick I've ever seen in MMA. Um, he throws it constantly. He hurts people with it. Guys clearly change over the course of the fight because of Justin Gaethje's leg kicks. Uh, it's a it's it's amazing. His other thing that I think is an underrated tool of his is he has this a really great power right. And it's it's become more prominent since he's adopted the more patient style. Um, but I think that leg kick, you know, his left leg kick, right hook combo is vicious. And, and I think it can really help him in this fight. Um, the other two I had is Justin Gaethje's got a hell of a chin. A hell of a chin. I mean, has taken shots and just, not only does he not get knocked down or knocked out, but like, keeps moving forward and both times we've seen him get knocked out he immediately shot a double leg on the ref like it wasn't he's he's not out cold like he he gets right back to it he's tough as nails and then he's got great takedown defense if he doesn't want to go to the ground he's not going to the ground so those are those are really my four for big strengths of justin gaethje yeah i'll throw in there trevor whitman trevor whitman's a fucking genius when it comes to MMA and fighting and strategy and mindset, um, 
he's a huge, huge plus to have in Justin's corner. And you, you see him, he's worked with Justin, you know, Thug Rose, a, a lot of people that have, you know, had a huge, huge success. Um, so that's a huge plus. The, the biggest weakness I see is the cardio. And the thing that I see that's unproven is the cardio. Um, Justin can go in there and give three rounds of absolute just madness with anyone in the world. But after that, we haven't really seen what happens. There's a lot of question marks. Um, Justin's got a, a very, very successful background in wrestling as well as does Tony. But in the UFC, you haven't seen anyone shoot on him. I think Tony comes in there and tries to shoot on him. Just mix it up and throw it in there. No one's done it. Everyone wants or to get an Imanari in. roll, some yeah. some sort of leg lock. Um, yeah. Oh, and he's gotten away from kind of the traditional wrestling shot and just kind of does these like weird jujitsu moves where he gets guys to the ground. But I agree with you. I th- I think Tony's going to look to grapple. Yeah, and then um, the biggest weakness I fear about this fight with Justin is getting away from the game plan. I think if he gets into a brawl with Tony Ferguson. It's the absolute worst thing he can do. I think he needs to stick to the game plan. Try to be patient. Don't get into a firefight with Tony Ferguson because I just don't think you can put Tony Ferguson away. I I think Justin's, if he clips him and feels like he's hurt, he's going to try to rush the finish. And if Tony survives in round four, Justin's gassed, Tony's going to fucking pick him apart. So, But here's the thing. For me, for Justin to win this fight, he has to finish him. It has to be a KO. Um, because I don't see any, I think it's so much less likely that Justin wins a decision against Tony Ferguson than last 25 minutes, but gets obliterated in the later rounds. I don't see how he can keep up with that pace. I, I don't think he can either. I, I agree. That's my only path to victory is for Justin Gaethje to come knock him out in round one or two. Besides that, we'll just get into predictions. I think Tony Ferguson submits him in the fourth round. I think he submits him in the third round. So we are basically on the same page. Okay. Same, same wavelength there. Um, it's going to be a great fight. I, I promise anyone that listens to this tune into that. If not, you're going to see it all over ESPN. It's going to be highlights galore. Um, it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm so, so excited that they put this fight together. Holy shit, we just did 47 minutes on Justin Gaethje, Tony Ferguson. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I knew that would happen. All right, um, Dominic Cruz, let's move on. Let's change gears. Um, Dominic Cruz coming wait, off a... Wait, wait, Okay. <laughs> piss break. Then okay, piss Dominic. break, and I'm going to make a drink, because this is clearly going to be a long one. Brought the whole bottle. I had to bring the... Uh... Boone and Crockett uh, rye whiskey, just in case we go three hours here. I'm going to need it to hold me over. All right, Billy, how about you knock out a Manscape read real quick, and then we'll get into Dom versus, versus uh, King Henry, your favorite fighter. All right. Support for Parker's MMA show is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I know I've been using my new lawnmower 3.0 during quarantine to make sure that my man parts are freshly groomed while I'm stuck in my house. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand. Get 20% off 
and free shipping with promo code FIGHT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping, and promo code F-I-G-H-T, FIGHT. So support Parker's MMA show, support Manscaped, and use promo code FIGHT on your next order. Take care of your nuts, everyone. Cheers. All right, Billy, topic two of episode 35. Okay, Dominic Cruz making his return to fighting after almost four years on the shelf, taking on Billy's favorite fighter, King Henry Cejudo. Initial thoughts on this, Billy? I just can't believe we're at a point where... For the, for the bantamweight title. Least- yeah, sorry, I forgot to add that My point. My least kind of favorite fighter in the UFC is a USA Olympic gold medalist wrestler. Like, you must be a communist or a terrorist. In the UFC are Olympic wrestlers. That's who I love watching. But I can't stand this guy. Anyway, Dominic Cruz, four years off, Parker. Can anyone do this? Is this a possible thing in the UFC to take? four years off of the sport, come back at the highest level and win a title? Fuck. That's a big ask. A really, really big ask. Especially when you're Dominic Cruz. You've had one style your entire career. There's so much tape on you. You're not changing it at 35 years old and you're fighting one of the most athletic Olympic gold medal champions that's beat Mighty Mouse Johnson. Beat TJ Dillashaw, who probably is the most similar fight to Dom Cruz. I, it's a very, very big ask, but if Dom can pull it off, he's going to be a fucking legend. And I think he should retire and just ride off into the sunset. How about this one? Is there any UFC fighter, past or present, who could take four years off of the sport and get an immediate title shot? John Jones <laughs> or GSP. That's the only ones. That that's it. If John I Jones think McGregor could do it too. Ooh, that would I don't know. At lightweight or at 170? At lightweight. I don't know about that. I, I think it's John Jones or GSP if GSP wanted to come. Like GSP I think could come back right now and get a title shot at 155 or 170. John Jones was the king of light heavyweight for 10 years. I think if he went to jail for shooting people in Albuquerque or something and came back four years later, he could get a shot at the title. But outside of that, you know, I don't think anyone could pull that off. Um, so if Dom can do it, I mean, it's going to be very, very impressive. And Dom's Dom's the guy he's got it going on. He doesn't have to fight. You know, he's done everything that he needed to do in fighting, but I think it's just, a. I don't know. I, I think he just wants to do it one more time and show everyone that he's still one of the best fighters in the world because I think people are sleeping on John or Dom Dom Cruz and everyone forgets how good he is, how dominant of a champion he was, especially, you know, all the new people coming into MMA in the Conor McGregor era. You forget how dominant Dom Cruz is. And man, I, I really I think he's gonna make a huge statement on Saturday. I really do. Um so let, let's get into it. Let's just get into it. Um, I mean, prime Dominic Cruz in his prime, like Uriah Favor 2 time frame, I, I don't think there's even a conversation. I think he goes in there and walks through Henry. I, 
honestly, the fact that it's like a conversation now kind of like tells you that, right? That like if if Dom Cruz is not an all-time great in this division, like we're talking right now about how Henry Henry Cejudo just walks through him. Right? Yeah, I mean, Henry Cejudo's not a spring chicken. The dude's 33 also. I, I don't think people are realizing that. So, I don't know. This, this fight, I don't know what to think of this fight. It's, Dom Cruz has just been out of the spotlight for so, so long. And going back and watching some of his previous fights, like I went back, I watched the Cody fight, I watched the TJ fight, I watched both Uriah, or all three Uriah fights. Um that dude's special. He's very, very good. Very hard to beat him. He's a very complete fighter. You know, like Tony Ferguson, he can he can do it all. His takedown defense is awesome. His wrestling is awesome. We know. I mean, Henry's an Olympic wrestler, probably one of the best wrestlers in the UFC ever. Um, but I still think Dom could take him down. I really do. I think the way he his timing is just incredible for MMA. Um, he can do it all. So I'm really, really looking forward to this. What what are your thoughts on how Henry has been playing his title reign? He's it seems like he's kind of taking the Conor McGregor approach. And I don't blame him because they're it's the big money fights. Um Jose Aldo or Dominic Cruz doesn't even come in the same money ballpark as, you know, Peter Yan or Aljamain Sterling or Corey Sanhagen. So how do you what do you think of how he's playing this? I kind of think he has no choice. I mean, like, when he was a flyweight, right? Like, he was a, I mean, still is. He's a bilingual American Olympic gold medalist who's a two-division UFC champion and couldn't break into any mainstream, not the English-language mainstream, not the Hispanic mainstream. The guy couldn't, like, he could not, he was not even the most, like, popular wrestler on the UFC roster. Right. So I don't blame him. I don't blame him for this whole, like, you know, king of cringe thing, all the, like, act and all the stuff he's saying, all the call-outs. Like, he kind of was forced into this, in my opinion, because who he was is like kind of baby face Henry Cejudo, you know, your, your aw shucks, Henry Cejudo fought Joe Benavidez twice. Like that, that guy wasn't making noise. That guy wasn't pushing, pushing envelopes. He wasn't getting on sports center. Um, mm-hmm. This Henry is. And so I don't blame him for trying to get the biggest possible names he could get to get himself in that conversation for best bantamweight of all time mm-hmm. to, build clout and, and try and build his name. Um, because at at the end of the day, kind of has no choice. No, I agree. Um, I think this fight looking at it strategically. Oh my God. There's a, (laughs) there's a cluster of six baby ducks walking in my backyard. That's gotta be a good omen. We're going to have blood on Saturday. Um, okay. So, the biggest fight for me, the biggest question is like, can Henry solve the questions that Dom bring, Dom Cruz brings to the fight? Um, he's been able to kind of figure everyone else out. I would think the closest comparison 
to someone that he's fought is TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw brings the movement, the varied striking, but that was also a diminished TJ Dillashaw at 125. That's not the best TJ Dillashaw. So can Henry over five rounds figure out Dominic Cruz, his weird herky-jerky movement, his varied striking, the, the mixing in of wrestling? What are your thoughts on that? I I mean, it's not that Henry can't do it. Henry clearly can do it, and anyone can do it on any given night. Um, I, I think that the question for me is, we haven't seen Henry fight anyone like Dom, and what I have honestly, like, it's hard for me to picture exactly what this fight looks like because the layoff for Dom what he's been working on. He's got an awkward, unique style to begin with. And then you have Henry who, I mean, two fights ago, right? Three fights ago, Henry completely switched his style. Like went from being like a, a boxer puncher with great wrestling to this karate style stance. Like, I mean, a complete 180 in the way that he was fighting. So well, I think that has a lot to do with training with the Pitbull brothers too. You kind of see them with that similar style. Um, I think the the best comparison for Henry fighting Dom is probably Uriah versus Dom too. You know, Uriah is obviously not the same caliber of wrestler as Henry, but it's pretty similar. I mean, he, he's got great wrestling, great grappling, and then he's got a giant right hand. And that's kind of, how Henry's gotten by, you know, especially like in the Marlon Marias fight, he was getting his ass kicked for the first two rounds, really. Well, a round and a half. And then he comes back and just starts walking, walking Marlon down, just smashing him with right hands and, and clenched knees. So I think that's probably the best comparison, you know, closest guy that Dom has fought to someone like Henry. And honestly, I Dom dominated that fight in my eyes. So, yeah, I just think Dom Dom fought Uriah. I agree with you that Uriah Faber is the closest uh, yeah. proxy for Henry Cejudo, especially in Dom's career. But like Dominic Cruz fought Uriah Faber for 15 rounds and I think very easily won 12 to 14 of them. Like yeah. not even really debatable. Yeah. 12 to 14 of the 15 rounds. Like that's not good news for Henry Cejudo, even though. I think a lot of people have him kind of penciled in as like this longtime bantamweight champ. Who, Henry or Dom? Henry. Yeah, but Dom is that guy. Dom's been the guy for the last, you know, ever since the bantamweight came to the UFC, it's been Dom Cruz. He's been that dominant champion. So this is a very, very interesting matchup. What are your thoughts on, we kind of already talked about it, but Henry holding up both divisions. And we see this with, when you become a two-time champ, it just it kind of screws up the whole division and kind of keeps everything at a logjam. But what, what do you think that that's done for both of those divisions? So my thing with the flyweight division, and, and I've talked about actually how I'm probably in the minority, but I think the UFC should get rid of it, um, quite frankly. But mm-hmm. um, with 125, I think I don't think Henry's holding it up anymore, but he is kind of preventing it from growing. And what I mean by that is whenever we have these situations where the champ doesn't lose the belt in the cage, it kind of takes the luster off of the division. You kind of feel like that current champ, whoever it is, like 
you know, whenever Figueredo and Benavidez rematch and and actually have a title on the line, it's not going to feel the same as it would if one of those guys actually took the belt from Henry Cejudo. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's kind of what I think he's doing with regards to flyweight. And then on bant on the bantamweight side of things, if we're not in like the coronavirus pandemic, I don't think this Dominic Cruz fight ever gets booked. Um, I don't. I don't either. I I, that, yeah, I, I think it's a perfect, just a win-win situation for Dom, and the only way that he was going to get this title fight is for all this to happen. So that that's why I think if Dom can pull this off, this is like a storybook ending for his you know, awesome career. And I, I don't think you could get any better than that. Getting your title back and to just ride off into the sunset. You know, you're not going to fight the fucking Peter Yans of the, of the world. You Sean O'Malley's. I, I don't see why you've done everything. So I think for Dom, this is the best case scenario he could ask for, for a return to fighting. All right, let's, let's dive into um, the strengths. I'm going to start with Dom. To me, he's a pioneer of the sport. The sport in general, and then more specifically, the lower weight divisions. Um, he kind of put the lower weight, him and Uriah Faber really kind of put the lower weight divisions on the map um, in the WEC, and then obviously when they moved over to the UFC. So, A, he's a pioneer of the sport. The experience is in his favor. He's he's done everything you could do in the fight, fight game, fight world. So, uh, number two, he's extremely hard to hit. Uriah, Uriah Favor dropped him a couple times in the second fight, but, I mean, he probably missed 97% of the time. Um, I, I heard a, I think it was during the Uriah Favor fight I was watching, but his last WEC fight against Scott Jorgensen, I think Scott Jorgensen landed like 7% of his strikes on Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz is like, He's the Floyd Mayweather of MMA. He is so weird and so hard to figure out over five rounds. Um, so that that's huge for Dom. And then the mental warfare. We haven't necessarily seen it because there hasn't been a huge buildup. But outside of Conor McGregor, Chael Sonnen, Dominic, Dominic Cruz is in that ballpark. The way he fucks with you and how wise he is and witty he is, he gets in your head you know, big time. And I'll be interested to see how he, how he handles that within the fight. If he starts piecing Henry up and he starts talking shit and gets in his head, I think you're going to see an angry Henry Cejudo. That's going to start walking him down and trying to throw big bombs. And that's when Dom starts to pick you apart. Um, so three, and then four Dom's hard to put away. He's, he's kind of got the Tony, Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, you know, approach where it's just like, you can't knock the guy out. He's been, I think he's lost twice. He got submitted by Uriah Faber. I don't know what the other loss was, but I mean, the guy's very, very hard to hit. And when you do hit him and hurt him, he's hard to finish the guy. He recovers and he comes right back at you. So those are my four biggest strengths um, for Dom Cruz. And obviously you're going to cover this, but the, the footwork, the footwork's out of this world. Joe Rogan's always said this, but if you put, you know, black screen up and you just you didn't see who the fighter was and you see the movement, you know, it's Dom Cruz. There's no one that moves like Dom Cruz ever in MMA. So um, those are my. Yeah, I, I complete. I think the biggest thing for me is the footwork. I think he's so good at just getting out of the way, being able to hit people without getting hit. Um, and it's all in the feet. Like 
it is so, so impressive uh, what Dom can do with his feet. Um, the other two I had that, that you didn't maybe touch on is, number one, Dom's fight IQ is unbelievable. And I think that's a big uh, advantage of him taking four years off and kind of doing the commentating thing is like, I, I, bet, I guarantee you this guy's been just pouring over film and pouring over film of Cejudo and knows him inside and out. Like he's one of the smartest fighters, um, I think to ever grace the cage and just, he just knows what these guys are doing, what they're going for. And it's just so unbelievable. And like, if you don't have a significant athletic advantage over Dom Cruz, like it's kind of hard to overcome that, honestly, like, Cody Garbrandt beat Dom Cruz because of athleticism. Um, there was a lot of times in that fight where Dom actually outsmarted Cody. And it's just speed, just raw speed. Cody Garbrandt is faster than Dom Cruz and was able to just right. beat him to the punch a lot of the time. So that was the one. I, I don't know how I forgot that fight. What am I doing? Um, yeah. But yeah. The other one that I think uh, Dom is really like next level at is his belief in himself, his mm-hmm. belief that he can go out and do this. I mean, he very famously does not believe in ring rust. Um, he, he's going to go out there. You're going to get the best version of Dom Cruz that's available to us on Saturday night. And so I, I don't know that we can say that about everyone on this fight card that we know that we'll get the best version of them. Um, I feel very confident that I'm getting the best Dom Cruz. No, absolutely. Um, I, after going back and watching all of his fights, um, weaknesses, I came up with three. He's obviously his footwork and how much movement. I want to see someone put a, a Fitbit on Dom Cruz and see how far he goes during a fight. He will just circle the, circle the ring in and out, back and forth, side to side. Um, his movement is very, it saps your energy big time. And we haven't seen him in four years. I would like to see if he can keep up that, you know, same style over five rounds like he did in the past. He's not known for having cardio issues, but he's an older guy now. He's been, hasn't been in the, a real fight in four years. So that's something to keep an eye on, just the amount of energy it takes to keep up that style over five rounds. Um, the second thing, there's really, Dom's, Dom's got one style. He doesn't have multiple styles, multiple ways, you know, plan B, C, D, E that he can use. He's got his style. It's cement and it works for him. It's worked for him forever. He's the most dominant bantamweight champion ever. So Henry, on the other hand, I think he's got multiple ways to fight. You know, he can take the fight to the ground. He can smash you. He can use his karate style. Um, I think he's got a little more diversity when it comes to actual fighting styles and ways to ways to fight, ways to attack Dom Cruz. Um, number three is a willingness to exchange. Um, Dom will go in and he'll exchange with you. He'll he's got kind of a, a Wonder Boy Thompson kind of just like kamikaze, you know, blitz style that he'll use and he'll mix in. And in the Uriah Favor fights, that's when he got caught. He got caught a couple times, you know, blitzing in and then trying to get back out. He got caught on the way out a couple times. And um, Henry's got serious power, so that's something to look out for. Is you know Dom being willing to exchange into a firefight and and push the pace of the fight and then getting caught on the way out or getting into clinch situations and on the break getting caught. So that's something to look out for. Yeah, the three that I had here, um, 
Dom's injury history has to be mm. brought up. Like I right. said, I know I'm, you know, between the ears, I know I'm getting the best Dom Cruz I could possibly get, but there's a reason this guy hasn't fought in four years. And I'm especially worried about all the foot injuries that he's had. Um, if that's going to affect his yeah. movement. Um, yeah. That's, that scares me if I'm, if I'm going for Dom Cruz, this fight. Second one I had was he's, he's never really fought a guy who I think has like a significant wrestling advantage over him. There's definitely been fights where it's like, you know, this guy's probably a little bit better wrestler than Dom, but it's probably 60-40, or it's about even. Henry Cejudo is a clearly better wrestler than Dom Cruz. Yeah. And, and I just wonder what that looks like if Dom has that threat uh, constantly. The third one I had is he's not a power puncher. Dom yeah. Cruz is not Cody Garbrandt. He's not going to come out there and knock out in the first round. Um, he's not Peter Yan. He's a volume puncher. He's going to put you away with volume. And... um. Not that it scares me necessarily, but like it's definitely a weakness of his that that he doesn't seem to have that that true knockout power. Mm -hmm. All right, so path to victory, um, and we'll do predictions too. I I think for Dom, he, he's just got to be on his bike. He's got to stick and move. He's got to use his movement. He's got to be fluid the entire time. Stay safe. Don't get too reckless and rush into you know, blitzing situations or try to cleanse too much with Henry. You saw Henry hurt Marlon Marias a lot with those knees, which I don't think Dom's going to put himself in that situation, but um, do what he does best. Just, I think he's far and beyond a hundred times better striker than Henry, Henry um, Cejudo. So I think mix up your striking, um, use those leg kicks. He Dom has vicious leg kicks. I think people kind of forget about that. Um, but some of those early fights, the WEC fights, and then some of the maybe one and two of Uriah Favor, um, really TJ Dillashaw too, he was just whipping those leg kicks in there. And those do damage. And you saw with that karate stance, Henry Cejudo's very, very heavy on that front leg. And he was getting fucking obliterated in the first two rounds against Marlon Marias. So that's something I think Dom could use throughout the fight is just keep going to the well with those leg kicks. Um but I, I've got Dom. I've got Dom winning a five-round decision. I I just don't think Henry has what it takes to beat Dom. You know, I think Dom is just too smart. He's not going to get knocked out by Henry. Um, he's not going to put him in, be put in bad grappling exchanges or bad positions. I think he's going to fight smart and just get it done over five rounds. And I think he's going to be your bantamweight champion. Yeah, for Henry to win this fight, I think it actually has to look very, very similar to the Mighty Mouse fight, where Henry's able to um, not go shot for shot with Dom necessarily, because I don't think that's possible, but hit him with enough shots to to make him think, make him respect the power, make him think about getting hit, and then use that to kind of time the takedowns, take him down. But in order to win this, he's got to be able to hold him down as well. Um which I think is, is easier said than done, but I don't think I don't think it's impossible. I think Dom will get taken down. I think he will lose rounds because he is taken down and held down, and Henry's able to control him. Um, ultimately, I, I have the same uh, situation. I have Dom winning by decision. I, I think the longer this fight goes, the more it favors Dominic Cruz. But um, I, I definitely see a route to victory for Henry, where he's able to use his use his wrestling 
use kind of that that power right hand that that he used so well against Marlon and um, really kind of frustrate Dom, but also make Dom respect him in a way that uh, allows the wrestling to kind of open up. And then once if Henry's able to control him for a couple couple rounds, I think that could help him lock up a, a close decision victory as well. So I see this as a pretty even fight, honestly. And uh, but I, I do like Dom Cruz by decision as well. Okay, so we're on the same page, two for two. On to the next one. The battle. Can we call this a battle of Africa? Or is that prejudice? All right, the battle of Africa. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, all right. The battle of Africa. Let's get after it. Um, Best heavyweight in Africa. There we go. All right, that, that's more PC. All right, here we go. Um, Francis Ngannou taking on Jarzinho Rosenstruik. How do you like those pronunciations, Billy? All right. Unbelievable. Um, this is another one. This and the next one we're going to talk, talk about. Get your popcorn ready. These are going to be vicious, vicious fights. Um, man, I've got Francis going in there and just knocking him out in the first round. I, I think, in the wise words of Farasa Hobby, I think Francis Ngannou's got the touch of death in those hands. He's putting everyone to sleep, and I don't see Rosenstruck being any different. Although I do think Rosenstruck is a better, probably the better, more polished fighter overall. Um, he's got like 97 kickboxing fights or something crazy like that. But um, France is going to go in there and knock him out. Why is this not the interim title? <sighs> I, I, there's no other options. The only thing that I can think of is they're moving John Jones up directly after this fight to fight the winner. That's the only that's the only reason I can see this is not an interim title. Like, and I guess building off that, like, what are you more excited for? Let's say they're happening at the same time on different channels. You can't possibly watch both live at once. Are you watching Jarzinho Roizenstroik against Francis or DC against Deep Bay three? DC versus Deep Bay, hundred percent. Are you kidding me? Really? Yes. Are you kidding oh, me? I'm no question watching Francis fight Rosenstruck. What? You're crazy. The mustache is getting to your brain. Come <laughs> on. That's one of the best fights you can make in UFC right now. It's Stipe versus DC. And they're both oh, like 45 years old. Let's get it done. Why is that not booked? Why is that not booked? Let's make it happen. I, I think Rosenstruck, he's a tough guy. Stipe can't fight. Stipe's not fighting until the fall. Like, he is not fighting into the fall at the absolute earliest. He said it to Brett Akimoto today. Okay, then John Jones needs to go to heavyweight immediately. This should be the interim title. This should be the interim title. I think John Jones is coming up. That's why I don't think there's going to be. Any, I don't think this is an interim title because John Jones is coming up next. He's going to fight the winner of this fight, and then he's going to fight the winner of DC versus Stipe. That's what's happening. Yeah. Me, and, me and Dana well, are on the same wavelength sometimes, and I think that's what's going on. Yeah, call, call your bald uncle, Dana. Um, I'll, uh, I, I, think, I agree with you. I think Francis is going to knock out Rosenstruck in the first round. I, I'm not, I was not impressed against, with Rosenstruck against Overeem at all. Like, I thought he lost the entire fight, and I think he kind of got, I, I got a bit of a lucky stoppage, too. I do too. I, I I went back and watched that fight, and um, I actually talked to Overeem about that. He was Overeem was not out. Overeem, they could have that fight could have went to the cards, and I think Overeem would have won a clear cut decision. Um, 
what I will give Rosenstruck is he is very, very tough. Overeem hit him with some fucking bombs, and that dude was just walking right through it. Um, but Francis has got next level power. Francis, no one hits, no one on this planet right now, not Deontay Wilder, not Mike Tyson, no one hits like Francis, Francis right now. Are we going to have a hardcore moment here? Derek Lewis hits like Francis and Donnie. I hate to say it. When his back is intact, yes, maybe. But I, I still think Francis hits harder than him. Um, I've got Francis first How round. How dare you? How dare you? All right, Black Beast. This is still a very pro-Black Beast podcast, but I think Francis is next level power. And I, I think he Derek, gets it I'm done. So, I apologize for my co-host, Parker. I'm so sorry about you know his disrespect. <laughs> All right. Prediction, I think we're on the same page here. Francis Ngannou, I, I, have, I think first round KO. I, I, don't, I don't see, how does Jarzinho beat him? If anyone can call me and tell me how that happens, I'm all ears. I, I don't see any possible way Francis loses him. I don't either. I think he goes in there and starches him, honestly. Um, all right. Everyone tune in. Someone's getting knocked out. Someone is for sure getting knocked don't out. Blink. In the first Do round. Do not blink. Yeah. All right. Um, this next fight. Holy shit. This. If Gaethje and Tony Ferguson don't get fight of the night, this is going to be your fight of the night. I wish this was five rounds. Jeremy Stevens, all team, number one savage of all time, taking on Calvin Cater. Um, man, this is a crazy fight. If you like violence, if you like striking, if you like vicious KO power, you like firework fights? This is it. Tune in. Tune in. Get your popcorn ready. Billy? This is going to be a high output fight. Very high output fight. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think for both guys um, coming off of disappointing losses, uh, Jeremy Stevens had that loss to Yair where Jeremy Stevens is kind of a guy, I hate to say this, but some, some fights, he's been around forever. He's been a pro fighter for like 20 years. But some fights he just doesn't show up early in it. You know, he, I don't know, it's hard to explain. He almost has to get into just like a brawl, just a, a war to be in his element. And I think Calvin Cater is going to bring that to him. Calvin Cater also, I think, is kicking himself because he got off to a slow start against Zabit. So I think both of these guys, they're kind of at very similar stages in the featherweight division in their career right now. I think they're going to come in just fucking guns a blazing. Yeah, the question I have basically is like, what, how much dam more damage can Jeremy Stevens take? Because this guy gets in wars. Every fight is but, a but, but it's not like he's being guy. finished. Like you haven't really seen his chin compromise. The dude, it's no, I mean he losing decisions. He does. You take damage. You take damage, and it happens. It happens very quickly. It happens almost overnight, in my opinion. So I, I just wonder. Like I, I just wonder at what point, like. Does this kind of aura of invincibility crack for Jeremy Stevens? Because, like you said, like he loses fights by decision. He doesn't get stopped, like almost never. And he's he's a brutal, brutal out. I mean, he will make you walk through fire to put him out. Um, the only guy I've seen him have an easy fight against, or that had an easy fight against him, is Jose Aldo. Yeah, and Jose Aldo finished him, didn't he? Yeah, body shot. Yeah, that liver shot. I watched that in Argentina. Shout out to Argentina. I'll drink to that. Um, all right, so let's let's run through their strengths real quick, and then let's make predictions. I've got um, 
Jeremy's savagery, number one. He's a fucking savage. Number two is his power. He can put you out any stage of the fight. Any stage of the fight. Um, number three, his experience. The dude's fought everyone in the featherweight division of really probably the last two generations. Um, number three is his low kicks. Jeremy Stevens has some vicious low kicks, and people kind of forget about that. Um, I think that's something he can implement in this fight to help mix it up because, in my eyes, Calvin Cater's the better boxer. He's got the better hands, technically. Um, Jeremy Stevens more of a brawler. He wants to get in there and get in a firefight and just viciously knock you out. So that that's what I see the strengths for Jeremy Stevens. For Calvin Cater, I I think just his boxing, his stand-up is... I think he's one of the best boxers in the UFC. Um, you know, I, I think if that fight with Zabit went to five rounds, Calvin Cater would have beat him. Um, you? Yeah, I, I think Stevens is also a better grappler here. I, I don't think either of these guys really shoot and take downs. Like you said, I think this is a firefight, but I I could see Jeremy Stevens like getting a clinch trip or something like that. And I, I think he has much better jujitsu than Cater does. Um and so that might be a route to victory though. Probably not the most likely one. And then the other one I had for Cater is I, I think what's especially important to highlight about his boxing is his combination punching is so much better than Stevens. Like when Cater comes forward and hits you with stuff, it's it's five or six punches. It's not it's usually not one punch. So I, I just I'm always impressed by his combination punching. U- ultimately, I, I have I have Calvin Cater winning this in a decision, but I think this is a really close fight. We're going to go four for four. Holy shit. I do too. I, I think this is going to be a back and forth war, but I think Calvin Cater is going to be able to outbox him just with his technical boxing, his movement. I think he's going to out, outpoint Jeremy Stevens. I don't see either guy getting finished. Honestly, I think this is going to go to a decision. I think it's going to be a close fight, um, but two guys that need to win for sure. So four for four on picks. Holy shit, Billy. We're on the same page. All right. Yeah, it's really um, scaring me, man. All right, Billy's second fighter, second favorite fighter in the organization, Greg Hardy, taking on Jorgen DeCastro. Um, Jorgen DeCastro is coming off a vicious knockout of Justin Taffa, I believe. Um, yep. He is the Mark Hunt wannabe, Justin Taffa. Um, anyway, so coming off a very, very vicious knockout, Greg Hardy coming off a loss, honestly, just got outclassed by Alexander Volkov. Um, so questions for this fight. Why does the UFC keep putting Greg Hardy in these big spots? Name recognition. I mean, people know who he is. You know, the NFL is the biggest sport in the United States. Mm -hmm. Greg Hardy was an all pro. He played for the Cowboys. Uh, People know, people know him. And, and I think people, you know, the, the UFC and ESPN is, is still thinking name recognition here. And the fact of the matter is, is Greg Hardy is a lot more famous than like a Jeremy Stevens. So, um, you know, I, I think they keep putting them on there and hoping that they're going to catch, uh, you know, an NFL fan who wants to see Greg Hardy fight in the cage. Yeah, um, no, I agree. Um, what what do you think the ceiling is for Greg Hardy? Obviously, when he came out of the gates, he was just starching people in. You know, I think he had three amateur fights and now he's six and one or six and two, maybe. But um, he lost to Volkov. He had the inhaler gate that was a decision win that got overturned. And then I think he lost to Alan Crowder because he viciously kneed him when he was on the ground. But 
He's had kind of a weird start to his UFC career. He was one of the first big names on the Contender Series. Um, what do you think the current state of Greg Hardy is, and what do you think his ceiling is in the UFC? I just don't think this guy is is a top 15 fighter in the world, and he's getting older. I mean, I know like we can we can say like the uh, heavyweight division especially is like, you know, you could be older and still be good, but I don't see it with Greg Hardy. I don't really see a lot of skill development. I think he only lasted against Volkov because he was really timid. I think if he actually came forward, he would have gotten stopped. And Mm -hmm. I I just haven't been that impressed, to be honest, as someone who was very impressed coming off of the Contender Series. I think he's got a long way to go. I think he he can be kind of the next generation of Derek Lewis. I think he's a guy that's like going to linger around four to eight, maybe in the heavyweight division, but his game's just not complete. He's gotten a lot better, a a lot better since his contender series. I mean, he's looking, he works very, very closely with Den Thomas, I think. And um, I don't know. He's a super athletic guy. He's 31 years old, which to me is not old for the heavyweight division. You've got DC that's like, 54 years old and Stipe that's rounding up to 40. Um, Greg Hardy to me has got, you know, eight years of heavyweight fighting ahead of him. And I think, I, I think he can get to a high level. I think he's a guy that, you know, the UFC is going to put him in big spots. Cause like you said, he's got a big name. Um, I don't know if he draws big. I wouldn't imagine he would with his history, but, um, yeah, uh, interesting guy. I, I want to see him go in here and try to starch um, Jorgen DeCastro. So I've got Greg Hardy with a round one KO. The Prince of War reigns again. Jorgen DeCastro, second round TKO. I, I, I think this guy is really underrated. I think he's got huge power. I, I, I think... And I think Greg Hardy's kind of a reckless fighter, honestly. Like, I, I think, like, with Vol- if you have a number next to your name, like Volkov, he comes in there very timid. And then, it, you know, all these other guys, he comes in here and thinks, like, he's just going to impose his will. And sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And I, I think DeCastro is actually a pretty special guy physically for heavyweight. I think he hits stupidly hard. And I, I think he's going to finish Greg Hardy. So um, we disagree, finally. <coughs> if Greg Hardy gets past Justin Taffa, I want to see Justin Taffa's buddy Bam Bam Tulavasa take on Greg Hardy next. <coughs> He's fighting Jorgen DeCastro, so. Oh, God. <laughs> Number two. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> All right. <coughs> well, regardless, I want to see Bam Bam do a shoey over uh, Greg Hardy after he knocks him out. <coughs> All right. I love that. The prelim main event, you've got two legends, Cowboy Cerrone taking on Showtime Pettis. Um, to me, this is perfect matchmaking. This is two legends that are at the, you know, at a similar place in their career. Um, both guys need All to we've win. done is ask for this fight. All we've done. <laughs> yeah. This whole, for months, yep. this podcast has called for this fight. So I can't yep. wait. If we can't get press passes, one of us needs to be the third matchmaker in the UFC. For sure. Um, Okay, so Showtime's coming off of two losses. Cowboys coming off of three losses. Who needs a win more right here? 
I think it's Showtime. I think Showtime yeah. lost to worse guys. I mean, I, I and I think like, I mean, the Fajardo loss is is not good for Anthony Pettis and his career. I mean, Cowboys he, lost too. He's a, he's very underrated oh, though. Fajardo, you and I are very very high on Carlos Diego Fajardo. He's a Fortis guy. I'm contractually yeah. obligated. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I think Cowboy is a guy, though, that can get by on winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one. I don't think Showtime can. Just because Cowboy's got that, he's just got that name. He's a Cowboy. He's, that's what he does. He fights, you know, five times a year. He's going to win some. He's going to lose some, but he's going to come to fight. Um, man, this is a big spot for both of these guys. I, I think this is going to be a fight. I don't. I think this is gonna be a good fight. I think this is gonna be a back and forth. Cowboys coming off the McGregor thing, which I think was very, very embarrassing for him, his brand, everything. That's not Donald Cowboy Cerrone. That's not, you know, what he's built a legacy around. The dude's got thirty six UFC fights. I think the most finishes in UFC history. Um, he's not a guy to go out forty five seconds, and I think he's gonna come to prove that against Showtime Pettis. So, this is a big fight. You know, for both of these guys, and I think this is going to get a lot of eyes. This is going to be on ESPN, primetime ESPN. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone tune into this. Um, how much do you think both of these guys have left? I think Pettis has a lot left, actually. I, I, I'm, I'm more bullish on the future for Pettis than I am for Cowboy. Cowboy's 36 years old with 50 MMA fights. Like, at some point it happens. And I love Cowboy. And and I've said it numerous times on this podcast that I'm a huge Cowboy fan. I'm not a huge Anthony Pettis fan. Um, you know, he's fine. He's a fine fighter. I enjoy watching him. I think he's got so much more left than Donald Cerrone does. I'm going to take Anthony Pettis in this fight. I think Cowboy's going to win a decision. So <laughs> the prelims are about to get really squirrely. You and I are not going to agree on the prelims. Um, I'm going to go with Cowboy. I got his shirt on. Love Cowboy. He needs, he's never, I don't think he's ever lost four in a row in his career. He's lost maybe two as his max in a row. Cowboy, I, I think he's still got a little juice left in the tank. He's got fun fights to be had at 155, 170. Uh, I don't see him retiring soon. He said he wanted to fight three times in the next week. So I'm going to go Cowboy. I, I think that's going to be a decision. I don't think you see a finish in that fight. Um, if you do, it's going to be very Give sad. Me. Oh, boy. I just saw what the next one is. Is that a record? Two pee breaks in uh, one episode? All right, here we go. Oh, Jesus. Now for everyone's favorite segment of the show, Billy's Hardcore MMA Minute. We've got Alexi Olenek taking on Fabricio Verdum, who's coming off a two-year suspension um, for failing a drug test. Do Alexi Olenek's match or management just not like him, or what's going on here? He asked for this fight. Why? He called him out after at the McGregor card. He wanted Verdum. Oh, Jesus. Russians. Fucking Russians. All right. Dive into it, Billy. Your thoughts on this fight. This is old man heavyweight grappling at its finest. Two of the best submission artists in the history of the heavyweight division fighting each other in far past the prime of their careers. I mean, 
this is going to rock. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait for this. Like, here's my thing, though. If you're Fabrizio Verdum, what is motivating about this fight for you? Just to get back in the mix, I think uh, Olenek is a guy, he's been lingering around the top, what, six to ten in heavyweight. Um, he's finished a lot of guys in the last couple of years with this crazy, what's he have, the anaconda choke or Ezekiel choke? Ezekiel, baby. The the jean shorts Ezekiel choke. Um, man, I, I don't know. I I think it's maybe a winnable fight for Fabrizio. He thinks he's way better on the feet, maybe. Then Olenek, um, I think he just wants to get back in the mix. And he's a guy, if he can go on a run, how old is he? Is he 40? For Doom? Yeah. I think he's 41. Is he? Let me see. I mean, I, if he can get back in the mix at heavyweight, he's st- 42 years old. Holy shit. He could still be semi-dangerous at heavyweight. Oh, you're taking Fabrizio Ferdum over Francis Ngannou? No, I'm not taking anyone over Francis Ngannou. But how about who wins, Jarzinho Rosenstreich or uh, Verdum? Verdum, hands down. Verdum, hands down. Yeah, Derek Lewis or Verdum? Derek Lewis. Like I don't. I'm not. I don't know how much Verdum has left in the tank, and I don't know what he has left to prove. But I am excited to watch Old Man Grappling. So I, I love this fight. Yeah, I, I figured I figured match. you would love this fight. It is. It's it's good. Um, I just think Verdum's going to pick him apart on the feet. I think Verdum's a way better striker than Olenek. Um, I'm going with Verdum. Some sort of finish. Some sort of old man finish. Um, round two. Verdum needs to go to I'm Bellator. Gonna, Why is he not in Bellator? I have no that is a good question. I'm I'm going I'm gonna go with uh Alexio Linux do submission this. round three. Okay. All right. All right. Uh man, this is another one for you. Carlos Sparza versus uh one of the hottest MMA fighters in the world, the karate hottie, Michelle Waterson. I think this is a pretty quick one. Um just an absolute must win for karate hottie. Um, I'm going to take Waterson by decision. I think Carlos Barza is the ultimate gatekeeper at straw weight. I think if you can beat her, you're in the top 15. If you can't, you're not. Um, I think Waterson is in the top 15. I just don't think she's ever a title challenger. Um, I'm going to take her by decision. Yeah, I think she had her, she had her shot against Joanna. She came up short. Um, still a great fighter. I don't think she has many fights left. Um, yeah, I don't see a finish here. I'm going karate hottie by decision. Um, all right, this is another hardcore one for you. Uriah Hall taking on Jacare Soja. Thoughts here? This is my absolute favorite fight on this card. Um, You're crazy. I, I, You're crazy. This is my favorite fight on this card. I think the potential for this to be a wild action fight is so, so high. Um if you haven't already read the Uriah Hall article on ESPN about him living in the gym in Dallas, uh, training in the dark and calling it ninja training. Um, he's Why is he training dude. in the dark. The power is not out. Come on. I don't know, but it, it was like, why? Like he's kind of like gone into a dark place for this camp. He's I think in their primes. Now. 
Jacare wipes the floor with him, but um, I think Uriah's a little younger than Jacare. Jacare is maybe reaching the end of his career. I, I think these two guys are going to go at it. I think they are going to swing and bang and, and really get this thing off with some fireworks. I, I love this fight. All right. Um, the next one I absolutely love. Um, Vicente Luque taking on Nico Price. This, this is on the early prelims. Everyone, are you kidding me? This is on the early prelims. These guys are going to go to war. Nico Which Price, will be on ESPN, by the way. Yeah, Nico Price is very similar to Tony Ferguson. He can finish the fight from anywhere. I think he up-kicked um, James Vick, knocked him out. He's got some crazy, crazy submissions. Was he the guy that, the Randy, that Brown, Randy Brown in Dallas? Was that in Dallas? That no, might have been in Dallas. No? Was okay. it? I think it was. I think that I was, it was Austin. No, I think that was a Darren Till Woodley fight. That was that card that he did that to Randy Brown and viciously knocked him out. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to fact check that later, but I'm pretty sure that was Dallas. But anyway, both these guys are wild, wild motherfuckers. Um, That's man. my fight of the night, by the way. That's my fight of the night. You think? Yeah. I mean, it oh, could yeah. be. There's like four fight of the nights on here. This is crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. Your prediction? I'll let you go first on this one. I think I think Luke wins that one. Actually, I, I think it's it's fairly convincing. Um, I I really like Luke. I think he's a more composed, more polished fighter. Price is a wild dude, and and in that cage, he's a wild dude. And I I just think Luke is able to kind of weather the storm and and get uh, Nico Price out of there. But um, I, I can't wait for that fight. Round two knockout, Nico Price. Let's go. Let's go. Something crazy. Superman axe punch off the cage, axe kick off his back. All right, so I've got. We're gonna have to write all these down. I'm gonna have to be calling you on Saturday. Um, <laughs> Nico Price knockout second round. Let's go. All right, your boy, the Twister King, the Twister of nuts, Bryce Mitchell taking on Char- Charles Rosa. This is these two guys are some of the best prospects in this division. To be honest, I mean, mm-hmm. both really talented guys. Charles Rosa, I saw an interview with him this week. He's considering this like Boston versus Arkansas, who is tougher, which I love that angle. Um, I, I love Bryce Mitchell. I mean, thug nasty guy lives in a trailer. He eats squirrels. He's unbelievable at jujitsu. I want to bow hunt with Bryce, Bryce Mitchell. Him. That's my goal I for 2021. Yeah. Open invite on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I love everything about this guy. I, I'm taking Bryce Mitchell. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for that fight, too. Every single fight is, is great. All right. This next, I, I've got Bryce Mitchell, too. I think he's going to find a way to get a finish here. Um, Ryan Spann versus Sam Alvey. You and I are on the same wavelength here. What? what what's going on, Sam Alvey? And why is, why is he still in the UFC? I'm wondering what Sam Alvey's wife is spending money on because the amount of time this guy has to spend fighting, I feel bad for him. Like, there's so many times I've seen him get his absolute ass kicked, like really bad. And I think this is going to be another one of those. Ryan Spann is, I've seen him walking around at some legacy shows, Parker. That guy is, that's scary man. Um, yeah, this he's... is a total mismatch. Well, he's got some wins sprinkled in, but. Yeah, he's not had a good run. Um, he beat Rashard Evans. 
He's had one, two, three, four, five, six, six losses, and then he has two wins sprinkled in. I I don't know. I agree with you. Every time I think of Sam Alvey, Sam Alvey recently, it's just getting his ass beat and have that creepy smile, and then it's got you know his wife with her short hair in the corner, purple or pink hair or something crazy. But he does have the most fights in a 12-month period. He's tied with Cowboy Cerrone in six. So I, that dude, he's, he's always oh, look, fighting. He's tough as nails. Yeah. He seems like a great guy. Like I've yeah. heard multiple interviews yeah. with him. I, I think he's probably a great human being. I, I just wonder why he's got to fight so much. You know, what the UFC has against him matching up with a monster like Ryan Spann. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel bad for Sam Alvey more than anything. Yeah, I agree. I think um, Ryan Spann's got this one. I'm going Ryan Spann. Um, all right, you want to talk about bets, so I'm going to let you do that, and then I'm going to throw a screwball at you, what I think is going to happen next at 155. Okay. Um, I had a lot of people text me about what to gamble on. I think it's a lot of people who – normally gamble on the NBA and the NHL and the NFL, and they don't have anything to bet on. So here's, here's four picks for you for this week that, that I like, um, as you know, I gave you, I'll give you two, uh, favorites, a parlay of heavy favorites, and then, uh, an underdog. So I talked about it with Parker. I love Anthony Pettis against Cowboy Cerrone. I think Cerrone is getting towards the end of the road and, and I really like Pettis. Um, we just talked about this. I really like Bryce Mitchell against Charles Rosa. I think he's got some of the best jujitsu in the division, and I, I think he wins. Two kind of heavy favorites that I would parlay because I think they're going to be uh, winners are Ryan Spann. We just talked about him beating up our poor friend Sam Alvey. Uh, and Vincente Luque, I think he he gets it done against Nico Price. So I'd parlay those two to get yourself a little bit better odds. And then uh, my underdog, I love Dom Cruz. I think Dom Cruz can really pull this off. I think this is much closer to a 50-50 fight than the odds would indicate. So those are my four. Um, Pettis, Bryce Mitchell, Ryan Spann, Vincente Luque Parlay, and Dom Cruz underdog bet. Uh, Parker, give me your, your curveball here. Okay. 155. There's a lot of rumblings about George Masvidal having a mystery fight. I think he's going to get the winner of Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson for the bad motherfucker belt at 155. Dana's going to find a way for Connor and Khabib to fight. And then you've got George Masvidal at 155 and 170 with a lot more options. Thoughts on that? I don't think George is going down to 155. I just don't. I don't Some, know. Something's going on. Something's going on why they have not booked him against Usman. And I think something's in the works. That, and you can't get a better BMF fight than George Masvidal versus the winner of this fight. The winner of this fight should just have the belt already. This is a BMF fight. I kind of, I see, I think, I think honestly, I think it's the Nate Diaz rematch. I think that's what's on the table. For George? Yeah. I don't know. I, what I think is going to happen, I think George is going to fight the winner of this fight. You're going to insert George at 155 because 170 doesn't move the needle right now. I don't think Usman's a big star. If you throw George Masvidal in the pool with Khabib, Connor, 
um, Justin and Tony. That's a we're gonna have some fun at 155 over the next year. Um, I, I agree. I think Nate is kind of the wild horse. I, I don't know what the hell's going on with Nate Diaz. Maybe the next fight with Connor. What did Khabib come out and say today that he'll be ready in July? Yeah, yeah, he did. That's not that far away. <laughs> We're in May, June, July. Um, I think yeah. we're, I think we're we're looking at a Khabib the Khabib title fight title defense in August. Yeah, and then you think Connor's gonna fight Nate next? I do, I do. I think Connor's gonna fight Nate next. I think Khabib is gonna fight the winner of uh, Justin Tony, and I think the. Uh, that Masvidal's either going to fight Usman or uh, Colby Covington. I don't know. I just, I feel like Dana is trying to get Masvidal involved with Connor and Khabib because I think somehow, I mean, those, those three names right now, Connor, Khabib, Masvidal, those are your biggest money fighters, I think, right now. Um, I don't know. I just, I had a weird feeling that something is going on behind the scenes, and I think. It's going to play out here in the next two weeks after we see Justin versus Tony. You're going to know what Connor's going to do. You're going to know what Masvidal is going to do. You've got Khabib saying he's ready in July. Shit's about to get crazy, Billy. Shit is about to get crazy. Pray to the MMA gods that no one gets coronavirus this weekend. And let's have some fucking fun. Fighting is back. We're back to normal-ish. We've got an epic fight card ahead of us. And I couldn't be more excited. Right there with you, bud. I'm right there with you. I, 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 am so excited. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I said it the, like last week. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna watch 36 fights in a week. Blah 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 blah. Lying to myself. Lying to myself again. Like I'm gonna be posted up in front of that couch. You know, beers in the fridge. You know, uh, some pizzas probably, and just you know, enjoy the the mixed martial arts goodness. Um, I can't wait. We're back. Everyone tune in. This is episode 35, special long edition, an hour, 48 minutes of hot, just knowledge and action. We appreciate everyone for tuning in. Um, we'll be back next week. At some point, we're going to try to squeeze in Chad Money Mendez interview, um, hopefully this weekend. So we'll be back. We'll recap the fights from this weekend. But like always, everyone like, subscribe, share. Post it. Do whatever you got to do. Let's keep the ball rolling. Billy, any closing words? Hey, been really enjoying the Korean baseball on ESPN. I know you love when I watch obscure sports. So, Just bleed, everyone. Just bleed. This is going to be fucking <laughs> crazy. UFC this Saturday. Don't miss out. It's way better than the last dance with Michael Jordan or Tiger King. Let's go. All right, Billy. All right. Till next time. All right. Thanks for listening to Parker's MMA show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, and visit Parker Keen's MMA show.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.